Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were true crime, history, and the paranormal me. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. I don't know that I should say welcome back as we are not fully back until next year, but we had to come back this week just for this update. For anyone who's a regular listener, you know the story of America's Unknown Child, also known as The Boy in the Box. It was a story that touched us deeply. On Thursday, the Philadelphia police, in conjunction with the coroner's office, the VDOC Society, and numerous others, held a press conference with updates on a case that was over 65 years old. I'm going to play the ending of the episode we recorded almost four years ago today. What happened to him? It's not going to just be for him anymore. It's going to be for the men who spent their lives trying to find answers for him. On March 21st, 2016, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a facial reconstruction of the victim and added him to their database. And despite the decades, the case remains open with the hope that one day someone will figure out the identity of the young victim and what happened to him. Will it be DNA that finally puts an end to all the questions and gives a name to the boy who found a place in the heart of the men who worked on the case? For now, the mystery endures, but the hope that 2019 will be the year that we finally get answers. DNA did end up solving at least one portion of the mystery. It wasn't in 2019 like I had hoped, but in 2022. Although I think the police knew as long ago as 2021 what his name was, they didn't announce it until last week. I had hoped to come here with a ton of information, not about what exactly happened to him or the circumstances that caused his death, but at least he has an identity and his name. Joseph Augustus Zarelli was born January 15, 1953, making him only four years, one month, and 10 days old, the day his poor, battered, and neglected body was found in February of 1957. When the police chief... Did you listen to the news conference, by the way? Yeah, I listened to it. When it was going on or after? I think you sent it to me right after. I don't think it was live when I looked at it. Oh, really? I think I sent it to you that morning before it started. That morning, but... Oh, then maybe I did get on in time. I don't know. When the police chief announced his name, I kind of felt like it was almost anticlimactic. You didn't feel that way, though. No, I didn't feel that way. I felt like... I knew it was coming like at the end because she hadn't said anything. I just feel and like. And then she said his name and then went on to the next person. Yes. Like I feel like she said it as part of a longer sentence, but it was like, for me, it was anticlimactic. She, um, I've kind of felt sad when she said it because I felt like it should have been like a moment of silence or I don't. Maybe, but you could tell she was, I don't know, emotional about it in a way. I felt like, I don't feel like she was stoic the oh, whole really? time. really? I no? felt like she was kind of stoic. I don't know. And I felt like I, I felt like it should have been more of a definitive statement when she announced Joseph Augustus Sorelli. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know. I had I, I had to stop for a minute. Like I caught, like I didn't make sure I was breathing because yeah. I stopped for a second. And then I felt like I was missing something. Like wait, did she say his name was Joseph? Yeah. And that kind of I don't know. I just I feel like at that moment I kind of like looked up to the heavens and I'm like, hey Joe, like <laughs> now we know who you are. He finally has his name, and he was a person, a little boy, not a picture in an old newspaper, a living little boy who didn't deserve the legacy that he inherited. It took me a full minute to recover, 
I had to watch the whole news conference again because I missed a bunch of what the next speaker said because I immediately started Googling the Zarelli family because I knew in an earlier, I don't think they said it there, but I knew in an earlier statement when they said they were scheduling the press conference that it was, he was from a prominent family in Philadelphia. So like I knew I could find who the Zarellis were. Mm -hmm. So I like, I, 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 it was plain, but I wasn't paying attention anymore. So I had to go back and I've actually, I think watched it three different times. There is currently no, they made it very clear. There's no current plans to arrest anybody during the press conference. It doesn't mean that they don't, like they won't arrest someone or that they don't know what happened, but they're making it clear that they're not going to say what they think happened to him. Well, isn't an arrest kind of irrelevant? Like whoever did it to him had to have been older and they're probably not alive. Right. We think. I mean, not necessarily, really. I mean, it didn't have to be his parents. It could have been a, a peer, like someone his age. Because he would only be 70 now, right? Or turning 70 next year. Yeah, but I just think that's a stretch that a peer accidentally did something and then like a six or seven-year-old year isn't Yeah, no, gonna... but I'm saying like someone that was maybe slightly older, like four years older. Oh. I mean... Anybody could be alive now that's 84 or 90 or 94 at this point. You know what I mean? That was older than him. Because, again, he was only going to be – he if he were alive, he would be 70 in January. But, again, I mean, we do know they did make a statement that both parents are now deceased. That was part of the announcement. Um, I believe that the name of the father is very evident in Ancestry. All you have to do is search um, – if you type in Joseph Augustus Sorelli – there's actually 156 different family trees with him listed. I started to go through them, and but I don't believe that any of the ones that I found were actually family members. I think there were people that just, in fact, someone wrote back to me. I wrote to someone, and they wrote back to me, and they were like, I just had that tree for research. I didn't. It was ancestry is just like Joe Schmo. Doing stuff, Anybody right? can make a tree. I make a tree all the time if I'm doing research. I can and and I want to do like a genealogy portion research of it. Mm -hmm. I'll create a tree for somebody that has no relation to me whatsoever. So, I, out of the 156 trees that are on there, I don't know that any of them are actual family members. It could be. I don't know. Someone clearly in his family did their DNA. That's Someone how we did. got here. That's like, how we got here. I believe they said through a cousin. I think that's how. And um, Colleen Fitzpatrick from Identifinders International is the doctor who spoke during the press conference. And she used the terminology that I prefer where she said that they built his tree downwards, like to him. And I think, I, I feel bad, I should have went back and listened, but I think they said it was through a cousin, which isn't a far stretch. A lot of people... If you're looking for um, biological parents, you often only have a match of, of a cousin, and oftentimes it's a second or third cousin. But it definitely is possible to clearly find the identity of somebody. The weird thing about the family trees that I did find in Ancestry, 90% of them already had Joseph's picture, and it said Joseph Zarelli. And then I would look back at that person and see that they hadn't logged in for at least a month. So I was like, okay, if they haven't logged into Ancestry in over a month and the press conference was just Thursday, how did they have his picture in his name already? And I may have gotten the answer. Here's me thinking I'm the queen of Ancestry and I know everything. 
um, someone wrote back to me this morning that the logins, I thought, because I thought this was a huge mystery. I thought it indicated that the police knew who he was far before they did this press conference. Mm-hmm. And the family members and the people doing the trees and ancestry obviously knew. So I was like, wow, how long have they known? And they just announced it. But a lady wrote back to me today. I was not aware that unless you log in through your computer, it doesn't show in login activity. So like one lady who had his picture in his name, I wrote to her and said, how did you have his picture in his name? And you haven't logged in for a month. How did you already know who he was? Random lady. Yeah, I did. Ancestry. I did. I was really, I was, I was tactful and respectful. And she wrote back and said that she's on Ancestry every single day, but it doesn't log her logins because she does it through an app on her phone. Yeah. So she updated it on her phone and it didn't show a login. So that mystery is relatively cleared up. Um, why there's 156 family trees, I don't know. One of them, ha- again, has to be fa- is most likely family because of how they found him. I want to make it clear they didn't find him through Ancestry.com or 23andMe. Both of them are have legal blocks where law enforcement cannot get into it and look at DNA, but there are other sites where people can upload their DNA. So someone in his family uploaded their DNA to a third party, and that is how they found the links. They did make it clear that the ma- that he does have living siblings, and their statement, and I can't, I don't want to quote unquote, but it was very close to this, said that um, Joseph does have living siblings on both his maternal and his paternal side. And the way they differentiated that it was on the maternal side and the paternal side, it's clear it wasn't mom and dad. Like his mom and dad did not have other children together, that the living siblings are either from the mom or from the dad. Got it. So they, they kind of said it in a way that made that portion very clear. On the family trees that I found, a lot of people have a mother listed. Uh, I'm not going to say her name because, frankly, it's allegedly his mom. Secondly, I don't think that's his mom. I think the women that they have listed, the majority of the trees anyways, have listed as his mom. I do not believe is his biological mom for a couple reasons. She did not marry the dad until two years after his body was found. So it's not likely that she had a child with him four years prior or six years prior and then married him. Do you're you know what I'm saying? You're saying that just because of the times? Because it happens all the time now. It does happen all the time now, but it doesn't typically happen in the 50s. They went on to have quite a few other children together. I This is – I don't know how to explain it, but I, I just don't think – I don't think that's his mom. I don't think the mom that most people have listed as his mom is the mom. And she did not die until 2014, but his dad died in 2002. And I want to explain something else. He was not found, the dad was not found through DNA. The only way they could trace the DNA was through the mom. Because like we talked about in our last episode, the mother's DNA lasts longer and can be traced further back. They found the mom through the maternal DNA And through identifying who the mom was, they were able to find his birth certificate, like legal document through the state of Pennsylvania. On the birth certificate, it listed who the father was. And then the genealogist, the investigators, the forensic genealogist, 
would have given the police the name of who they believe the father was. And then the police would have gone to his family members because he's already deceased and got DNA samples and then matched it. Does that make sense? They did not find the dad through DNA. They found they confirmed the dad through DNA, but they did not find him through DNA. And the police aren't saying the names of the parents. The police are not saying the names but of the parents. But they know both parents. They know who both parents are. Um, they were able to trace the mother through DNA. They were able to find the father's name based on the name on the birth certificate, and then they confirmed it with DNA that he was the father. Because you could say anybody is a father, yeah. especially back in 1953 when he was born. If the mom went to the hospital pregnant, had a baby, she would have been the only one giving information on the birth certificate. She could have said who the father was without him even being there. Yeah. He didn't need to confirm it. He didn't need to deny it. His name would just be on there. So the police doing their due diligence would have went out, found the children, other children of this man, cousins, whatever, tested the DNA and confirmed that he matched as the dad. Got it. So um, the man who is listed on the birth certificate and who I believe in the Ancestry.com, I believe that is the dad. I do. I think it's very clear. His name... Um, and I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it allegedly because I don't have a confirmation. I'm not speaking to the police. I don't know. But his Joseph's name was Joseph Augustus, Augustus Zarelli. The father on the birth certificate is Augustus Zarelli. I love that last name, by the way. Zarelli? Yeah. You do? Yeah, I think it's cool. What is um, that, Italian? It's Italian, yeah. Um, so there's a whole family tree on Augustus Zarelli. Which, by the way, is going to come up in a few minutes. Um, he wasn't referred to as Augustus. He was referred to as Gus Sorelli, which is going to mean something in a minute. But I do believe that it's a dad. I think that people have that right on Ancestry.com, the dad being Augustus John Zarelli. What I don't know, and I want to make really clear, is we don't know if he knew about Joseph. That he had a son at all, you mean? Right. He may not have even have known. Um, he went on to marry another woman who is listed as the mom on Ancestry. That, again, I, I don't think that was his mom. Um, I think that um, the mom is somewhere else. I don't think she was married, so we don't know her first name. We don't know her last name. We don't know anything. I tried to find out if Augustus John Zarelli had been married prior to his wife in 1956 when he got married. Um, or 19... I think she got married. I think they got married in 1959. I was trying to find um, if he had been married before. I couldn't find any listing of him being married. I know that he was fought during World War II. I mean, I found a bunch of information, but I couldn't find a previous relationship. So we don't know what that was. The weird thing, though, is um, there were items found at the site, right? Remember, we have talked about it. In the, mm -hmm. In fact, I'm going to read what I had written in the first episode. The case attracted massive media attention in Philadelphia. The Philadelphia Inquirer created 400,000 flyers depicting the boy's likeness, which flooded the area, and they were included with every gas bill in Philadelphia. The crime scene was combed over and over again by 270 police academy re recruits who discovered, one, a man's blue corduroy cap, two, a child's scarf, and a man's white handkerchief with the letter G on the corner. They said in the initial research I had done, they said all clues led nowhere. So um, the coroner, during the press conference, and I want you to go back and listen to it, she mentions the handkerchief. Then, like, 
doesn't finish her sentence about it. It's really weird. Like she mentions a handkerchief found with the letter G on it at the site and she points at the screen and there's a picture of it. And then she sort of changes this. She hasn't finished her sentence. And she changes her topic and says something about a red herring. But, like, she doesn't mention the hat. She doesn't mention the scarf. She doesn't mention the blanket or anything else at the scene. Um, Just a handkerchief with a G, which I find kind of interesting. Now knowing that his dad's name was Gus. And they can't test those things for DNA now? They would not. They would be so far degraded that Mm. there'd be no way. And... The fact that she mentions a red herring as she talks about the handkerchief, is she giving us clues into the investigation? I mean, I don't think police are privy to giving people clues. Maybe she wasn't supposed to say that, though. So I'm saying, like, did, like, how I'm saying that Gus Zarelli could not have even known about Joseph being born, right? Yeah. Or about the woman being pregnant. It would have been up to her to tell him, right? If they weren't in a relationship, he may not have even known. But she calls a red handkerchief a red herring. Do they know that the mom left that handkerchief there just to, if if his body was found, to lead them to someone else and not her? Was she angry? I don't know. With the father of a, of Joseph? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just think it's weird. I want everyone to listen to the press conference. I want to know what other people's opinions are of that comment about the G handkerchief and the red and her saying red herring. I, I'm curious what other people's thoughts are. Um the other point I want to talk about, and um we mentioned M a lot in the first episode. Do you remember M? Yeah. We still don't know who that is. Um and bear with me while I give a th- a theory, which I normally hate to do, but in this case it's really hard not to. And to get everyone up to speed, whether you listen to our first episode or not, some probably don't remember, but following is a portion where we talked about M, so I can kind of remind everybody. On the morning of February 25th, 2002 or 2000, I've read both dates, the Homicide Division received a call from an Ohio psychiatrist concerning one of her outpatients. Because of confidentiality laws, she was referred to as Mary, Martha, or M. Apparently, M had awakened in a panic and picked up the phone. She wanted to report a murder, and she needed to get off, get it off her chest after all these years. M claimed that her abusive mother had purchased the unknown boy, who she said was named Jonathan, from his birth parents in the summer of 1954. The boy was subjected to extreme physical and sexual abuse for two and a half years. One evening at dinner, the boy vomited up his meal of baked beans and was given a severe beating, with his head slammed against the floor until he was semi-conscious. He was then given a bath during which he died. These details matched information known only to the police, as a coroner had found that the boy's stomach contained the remains of baked beans and that his fingers were water-wrinkled. M's mother then cut the boy's distinctive long hair, which accounted for the unprofessional haircut which the police noted in their initial investigation, in an effort to conceal his identity. M's mother was then, f- then forced M to assist her in dumping the body in the Fox Chase area, M went on to say that they were, as they were preparing to remove the boy's body from the trunk, a passing male motorist pulled alongside to inquire whether they needed help. M was ordered to stand in front of the car's license plate to shield it from the view while the mother convinced the would-be good Samaritan that there was no problem. The man eventually drove off. This story matches testimony given by a male witness in 1957 
who said that he had come across a woman and a child next to a car on Chase Road and that they had asked if they, he had asked if they needed help. The woman shook her head, so he left. Originally taken as a well-meaning but ultimately meaningless tip, it now made sense. M states her mother stashed the boy, wrapped him in a blanket, and then in a box she found on the site. Neighbors who had access to M's house during the stated time period denied that there had been a young boy living there and dismissed M's claims as ridiculous. The police detectives Bill Kelly and Joe McGillen made a trip to meet M in person. It took her three hours to tell her story. They believed her. They have corroborated everything in M's story that they can, and they traced the route she described and found it does lead to where the boy was discovered in Fox Chase. They located a college roommate of M who said that M once told her that her mother had killed someone. The current police don't believe this theory holds up. For one, M has been in and out of psychiatric care her whole life. Many of the details she provided were part of public information, many of them, many of it not. Um, she isn't a blood relative, so there's no way that DNA will prove her story. Neighbors say she's crazy that there was no boy that lived in the home, but Kelly and McGillan, the detectives, think that actually confirms M's story of him being hidden in the basement. Bill Kelly looked M in the eye and says he believes her, and that her story alone is why she was in need of psychiatric care to begin with, which was a point you made during that episode. Her mom killed a boy in front of her. We will never know, though, if her story is true or not, since DNA won't be a way to confirm it. Um, back when we did the story, she was 84, so she could still be alive. I can't trace her because we don't even have her name, and she was pro- really being protected by her doctor. So, again, the current detectives on the case in the early 2000s did not believe M. They said she was unreliable because of psychiatric care she had received, received the majority of her life. But here's my theory. M says her mom killed and dumped the body, right? There was a man who called in a tip that he saw a woman and a child in the area, completely matches. Is M telling the truth? She never mentions her father in any part of her storytelling about disposing of the body. Um, but she got so many of the details correct. Like she and the detectives, they believed her. Um, well, and I think the stranger correct saying like, the same thing. The story. Right. Right. Um, did her parents really purchase Joseph or was Joseph her half-brother? Do you mean she was a child? Did she think her parents purchased Joseph? Or does she, and I'm calling him Joseph, I'm calling the child Joseph. She called him Jonathan. But did her parents purchase this baby or was he really her half-brother? Did her mom give birth? And she just doesn't know. Was the baby a product of an affair but if it was a half sibling then, then there DNA would be would match. DNA. right they could go back but it's not likely she's alive anymore yeah she was 84 back when she came forward and told the story um i was thinking this too we talked a lot about the home for wayward girls nearby her mom could even have been one of those girls that could be why she knew of the area to dump the body mm-hmm. that I, from my research, it it does. I mean, ultimately, from all my research, it does look like Augustus Sorelli is a father. That's what Ancestry.com says. It makes sense. The names match up. Like, why would Joseph's middle name be Augustus? That's not a, a super common mm-hmm. name. It's not like his name was John, it was Augustus. They had exhumed Joseph's body back in 1998 and then again in 2012. 
the DNA was not super, it took this long. I know it seems like a really long time. Um, it took this long because the DNA was not, I don't want to say viable because they made it viable, but it wasn't, it wasn't as easy as it is now. Like if you gave your DNA and I gave my DNA and we both uploaded it to like a third party, we would, it would be easy to see a match. Um, but his DNA had degraded so much. And yeah. I think they took, I had read somewhere and I can't confirm it, so don't ever quote me, but I think they had taken DNA from his tooth. Mm-hmm. A tooth that was still, that was part of the school. Like I said before, um, Joseph's mom could have given birth without, without ever even telling the father that he, that she was pregnant um, and just made the choice to list him as the birth certificate, as the father on the birth certificate with or without his consent. During the press conference, um, they said that Joseph still had living siblings. Again, I want to reiterate, they made it very clear that um, there were living siblings on the maternal side and the paternal side. And the way that they said that just leads me to believe that. So living half-siblings. Living half-siblings is the way. And I don't know why they didn't say half, if that's what they meant. Mm -hmm. But the way that they said it, they didn't say, like, that he still has living siblings from his parents. They said it from the maternal side and the paternal side. If we ever can figure out who the mom is and figure out if she had a daughter, either Martha or Mary or Margaret, Mm -hmm. an M name, it might collaborate more M story. Well, aren't there cousins or nieces or nephews or siblings of this M person that you could get DNA from and match if they are half siblings? Yeah, I'm sure the police could do that for sure. I just don't know. You have to remember the detectives on the case in the early 2000s didn't believe M's story. Yeah. It was the original detectives that are now gone that believed her. But what would be the closest, a cousin to her? A cousin, for sure, yeah. A cousin or, yeah. But, and they would have the same DNA as Joseph? They would be able to match the DNA, yeah. They would be able to trace the family tree and find a linked relative, whether Mm. it was a grandparent or, whether it was a grandparent or. If it exists. If it exists. I, I just have so much faith in the original detectives. They really believed M. And I think that her story makes more sense now. I don't think I think she her her mom may have been Joseph's mom. I don't know if the purchased part is accurate or not. I mean it could have been. The police know who Joseph's mom is. They they know they're not I don't know why they're not telling. They're asking for privacy for the siblings. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the benefit is if the parents are both they did make very clear that the parents are both deceased. So well, because there must be living siblings. There's living siblings. So they're being careful. Yeah. I'm so curious if if they're gonna ever announce more, if the siblings are ever gonna come forward. I'm curious if they will ever speak publicly. Um they seem to indicate during the press conference that there were people from the era that do know things or maybe only suspected things, but might be able to clarify unknown information. I don't think the story is over. I think now they know who Joseph is. More information will be coming out. I reached out to both Colleen Fitzpatrick with Identifinders International to ask questions about how Joseph's biological mother was traced. I don't know if she'll be able to answer anything that I left a message about. Um, even if she tells us genetic, like generically how they traced him, I would love to ask her questions. I also reached out to the VDOC Society on what their plans were 
And if Joseph's headstone would be changed, because currently it says America's unknown child. So I'm hoping that someone is going to change his headstone and give him his name back. Mm -hmm. If we get any updates, I'm either hearing back from um, identifiers, identifinders international, or if we hear back from the VDOC Society, I'm not holding my breath, but if we do get any updates from either of those angles, we will post them on our social media. We probably won't do another episode about it unless something huge comes out. But I would like to know if Joseph's headstone is going to get changed. Yeah. I really hope that. That would probably be a family thing, right? I would hope so. If if he really does have half-siblings, I don't know that it would be up to the VDOC Society to change it. They're the ones who bought the initial, both initial headstones because it was two different ones. And um, hopefully, I mean, I don't know. If things are coming forward, if they're talking to siblings or cousins or do you know what I mean? Like whether they're siblings of the parents or siblings of Joseph, did they suspect something a long time ago? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's so many still unanswered questions about America's unknown child and about Joseph Zarelli, but I don't know if any of those questions matter anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. It was legitimately six. He was born. Is it going to be? Oh, fuck. Math. Math again. You're too far away from the microphone. So. 65 years ago, this happened. 65 years ago. So I don't know that any information they get about what physically happened to him, who technically committed the murder, what his life was like before, if it's going to be accurate information. 65 years ago, if there's no documentation or anything, then it's just going to be, like, what people remember and how accurate is that. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't think anyone, I mean, my opinion anyway, I, it would be nice to know what happened, nice to someone to, quote, unquote, pay for it, but I think it matters more that they know who he is. I think that's really the only thing that matters. Someone surely should have paid the price for Joseph's murder and abuse. Unfortunately, the players in his death were probably gone a long time ago, and sadly, we may never know everything that happened. Is giving his name back enough? Like Haley said, I think it might have been for the detectives and genealogists that have worked so hard on this case. I know for me, it helps to close a chapter on his story. He had a name. He was Joseph Augustus Zarelli, and he mattered. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode, links to our Patreon page, and all of our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. Remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.